0: that's because they want more out of life and they don't want to be chained to a cubicle. They want a more fulfilled life and they want the time back. So real estate isn't really about the physical house or the four walls, or the roof.
1: Before we get into today's episode, are you a fix and flipper who needs some money? You need to maybe do more deals and you're limited by the funds you have available. Well, then Fund That Flip, today's best ever sponsor, has a solution for you. And you know Fund That Flip, right? Your loyal best ever listener, the founder, Matt Rodak. He's been on the show multiple times and they have been a previous sponsor and they love working with the best ever listeners and they provide short term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy easy. And you can get funded in as few as seven days. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, go to fundthatflip.com and mention that, well, you heard about it on the Best Ever Show. Best Ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluff. With us today, Paul Thompson. How you doing, Paul?
0: Great. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, my pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Paul. He is a professional landlord and real estate transaction engineer. I haven't heard that. I like that. He began investing two years ago and controls 22 units and has been involved in about 30 deals. He is focused on win-win situations. He's based in Little Rock, Arkansas. With that being said, Paul, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
0: Yeah, my background is that I was an armchair real estate investor for many years. I'm an engineer by trade, so I kind of overanalyzed things too much, and so I studied all kinds of investing. I was a realtor for a short time, got a master's in business, and but life kind of got in the way, you know, work, kids, and all this other sort of thing. And all I ever really did was invest in index funds in my IRA or 401k. And one day I just realized that there's never going to be a perfect time to start a side hustle and really focus on building real wealth. So based on all that research, I discovered that real estate, I feel like is the perfect vehicle to build meaningful wealth. So I read all the books and scoured the internet and listened to you know, every kind of podcast that's out there. And in the span of about two months, I bought nine single family rentals here in central Arkansas where I live. And now I'm up to about 25 single family houses. And I've been involved in about 30 35 deals, you know, assignments and notes and subject I raise. So I, I'm doing about three deals a month now, I guess. And my strategy is just to build wealth with little deals on single family houses, three and four bedrooms here in central Arkansas.
1: Let's talk about this. How about when the span of two months you got nine rentals, how'd you pay for those rentals?
0: On those, I bought them with private money and then refi them into traditional commercial loans. So it's the buy, rent, rehab, and refi.
1: How did you do that two months?
0: I just started networking. I went to my local RIA and found people who are either wholesalers or other investors that had properties that were distressed or just had a motivated seller. And one of the deals had six houses in one. So that kind of supercharged me a little bit. So it was four deals in nine units all together. And they're all single family houses. But once you start and make, I mean, I had the knowledge. I've done enough of the reading. You know, I've been in business for a while. So it wasn't like I was 21 years old. I was in my late 30s. I'm not going to wait anymore. I'm going to do these deals.
1: Mm-hmm. This certainly is important in your journey. These two months where you went ballistic and gotten these nine rental units. Walk us through each one of them, please. These four deals. How much was the first one? How'd you get the financing, et cetera? Sure.
0: So the first one was a rental that I bought for about 30000 and then put about 10000 into it. So I got a private money loan that I found through a contact on Bigger Pockets. She did what they call bullet loans. It's 10% on whatever you borrow from her and it's due in a year and you can pay it back in one month or you can pay it back in 12 months. So it's just a flat 10% period. No points, I and mean, I still do deals with her all the time. She's kind of like the, the resident matriarch here in Central Arkansas so and lends a lot of people. <laughs> and those are her terms, and she does 10% over prime, and so now it's 11%. It's just non-negotiable. But for a $30,000 property, that's not that much money considering I didn't have $30,000 to lend to myself. So I bought the property, did some rehab, but I funded it out of my own pocket, so I did have some of the money. I put about 10000 into it, and so I'm into it for about 40000 refied it, and it rents for six fifty. I still have it and it's solid rental.
1: What lender did you use on the refinance? I
0: used a local commercial bank. So it's got five percent interest for at a twenty-year AM and then it has a five year balloon on it, like the typical commercial loan does.
1: What are you planning on doing within five years with it?
0: Five years, if interest rates are doing well, I'll just roll it through the next because really all you gotta do is if you're not in the middle of two thousand eight. They'll just refi it, basically, and with not a lot of extra fees, and they'll just do it at the current rate then. And so if the prevailing winds of interest rates aren't at 15%, then I'll just roll it. Otherwise, I can sell it. I have enough equity into it. It's probably worth about 65 now, so I have quite a bit of equity to play with. So I have some extra strategies. And at this point, I've gained an- enough experience that I can find private money pretty quickly. It's typically a little higher than 5%, so I'm not really in a rush to refi that into a 6 or 8% private money loan.
1: Okay. What about the next deal?
0: The next deal was another property I think I bought for twenty nine thousand and it rents for six hundred and the tenant was in place, so that tenant is still there. She's lived there for twenty eight years. It's crazy. She could have bought the house twice over if she'd just been making rent payments to a mortgage company instead of to a landlord, but such as it is. And I think I've been in that house once. And I haven't been back.
1: You bought it for twenty nine, rents for six hundred. Have you done a refinance on it?
0: Yeah, sure did. I did a refi on that one. And on the other than the next deal, which was a six units, I basically did a portfolio loan, which I did eight properties altogether, together, refied them. And so I only paid one mortgage note for eight properties.
1: Okay. Did you have equity in them so that when you did the refinance, you do not have to be out of pocket?
0: Correct. And I was lucky enough to find a mortgage company that did a, what they call an in-house assessment for the value and appraisal. So there's just a lot of value in shopping around your local community banks, and you can get some pretty amazing terms.
1: What bank did you use?
0: This one, I think, was Central Bank of Arkansas. It's one of the smallest banks here in Arkansas. It's one of the second or third smallest banks there <laughs> in the state.
1: Okay. And you said you're an engineer by trade. What type of engineer?
0: Network engineer. i got a degree in computer engineering and I do networking for an IP telecom company, so I just like to solve problems.
1: Okay. With your background and your education, I'm sure you've thought through the if-then scenarios and is there a five-year balloon on this portfolio? Mm -hmm. Okay. What happens if the lending environment is not favorable in five years And as a result, you get private money, it's going to be at a high interest rate because of what's going on. What do you do?
0: I think that's a really good question. And it's actually the reason why I stopped doing that very strategy. I did it on those eight properties and I haven't done it since. Now, if I can't get uh, fixed, no-call loans, then I don't do them anymore. Because if there's ever anything I worry about with investing, it's the debt on those balloon notes. And those eight properties, they're all so small that I could probably almost just pay them off if I had to. I could raise the funds. I could borrow against my 401k and put 50000 into it and pay off half the loan just by doing that. So there's a, there's a lot of different strategies you can do if you get desperate. I don't ever want to get there. I would rather just use my network of financial friends to lend to me on that. I could go back and try and find somebody who would be willing to buy the property from me and then I lend it back to myself or I pay them the interest rate as They were the bank. So basically set up a reverse owner financing deal. I'm talking out kind of my, uh, (laughs) (laughs) making up here a little bit, you know. Um, But that's the kind of things that you would do if things don't go well. You plan for the worst but hope for the best.
1: Are they cash flowing?
0: Yeah. They're low income properties, I would say, or middle class, uh, working class properties. And they cash flow very well. They tend to be some of the more higher management costs as far as just dealing with the tenants because they will tend to be but i would say of the eight to so probably five of them i have fantastic tenants and i never hear from them three of them are fairly high maintenance and they end up not staying that long and i have to turn them over to somebody else it's just part of the maintenance costs are higher
1: what are some things you've learned managing these properties that you didn't know before
0: Oh, man, I learned that people in this economic class are fantastic negotiators. Um, (laughs) They often don't make a lot of money. I thought I was a shrewd business guy, right? These folks, that's all they have. They don't have a lot of money, and they've been scrimping their entire life, and they are very good negotiators. Even people who are not telling lies, just people who are just looking at it as a business transaction, and they will find some angle that I just never thought, that was, was possible. And you're like, oh, you know, and you just have to learn to be very fair and firm. And if you always have the same policies, the number one lesson that I learned about being a landlord is I am never the decision maker. Even if I am the decision maker, I never make a decision on the spot. Oh, okay, what's well, a interesting question you just asked me? I don't know the answer to that. Let me. Think about that with my partner and get back to you. And then I go and have a conversation with my partner, my wife, or me, or just think about it. And like, you know what? I, I don't think that works for me. I'm going to go back and come back with this. I think you're much better off to be a slow negotiator than a quick-witted negotiator because you'll out-negotiate yourself in the midst of a negotiation.
1: Hmm. That's one thing I do as well. I am never the one who has the power to make the decision. If I'm speaking to a resident, it's always... I've got to talk to the team and someone more important than me and ask them what their thoughts are. I'm not the final say. And I've
0: noticed that when you start setting yourself up like that instead of being the decision maker, people ask you less things. When they know you're the decision maker, they start to kind of nibble at you, you know, and you have to say, well, I can't make that kind of decision. That's way above my pay grade.
1: Yep. Now let's move on to your other acquisition. So we just talked about the nine rentals. Now, walk us through the other ones, please. The subsequent ones have been
0: more of the what I consider the more creative financing style where you're doing subject to the existing mortgage, owner financing, lease options, or buying with private money. And those four levers are what I use now almost exclusively. Where I buy subject to, I think you're obviously familiar with that. And then owner financing. Owner financing is probably my favorite because that way I feel like it's one of the best win-win scenarios around. I, Pitch myself a lot as I help frustrated landlords earn passive income, so that they can enjoy their cash flow without all the hassle of dealing with tenants. I take on that burden, and I help them enjoy the passive cash flow that they probably wanted from real estate to begin with.
1: Mm, how do you do that?
0: For one, I'm the president of the Little Rock Landlord Association here in Little Rock, so I just get a lot of deals and landlords that are frustrated coming to me a lot. So I'm just in front of people who are landlords, and if they're expressing an interest that they want to sell. And I'll say, well, you know, I'll share this with everybody in the group, but I gonna take my president hat off for a second and share with you that I'm interested in buying. I'm in acquisition mode, and I would be happy to talk to you about that. And I just ask them questions. What would you do if you could sell them right now? And most of the people, once you start asking a few questions, it's not about the cash anymore. It's that they don't want the headache. I said, well, what would you be interested in taking for some of these? And they'll, they'll throw out a number like $60,000, I said, well, I've been looking to invest $60,000. Where would you put that to get a high rate of return? I said, well, I don't know. I'll just stick in the bank. I said, well, what kind of interest rate are you getting on that? Less than 1%. Well, okay, well, if I could show you how you can get four times that, would you be interested in hearing more about that? And then that just opened up the conversation to where I found their problem point. They don't want to deal with the headaches of hassling with tenants, but they're enjoying the cash flow. They don't really want a pile of cash. They still want to maintain that stream of cash, and I just give them the solution to that.
1: Mm. Thank you for walking through that. That's really helpful. How about give an example of an owner financing deal you've done with the numbers?
0: Sure. I've bought one property. I bought it for sixty four. It rents for eight thirty. I think I put twelve thousand down, which is a little bit higher than I usually do. But he was willing to take four percent interest, and so I can not get four percent interest even at a thirty year fixed. So I was pretty happy with those terms, and so I'm paying him four hundred dollars pull the hams and. 15 years. And so in 15 years, I'll have a house fully paid for that's cash flowing for me about $200 a month. And it's in a really good neighborhood that has some gentrification going on. So I feel like there's potential for appreciation. I don't ever really count on that, but it's nice that this is a cash flow market. There's not a lot of appreciation, but it's just a solid house. And he's tickled pink to get that check from me every month.
1: Does he own it free and clear? He did. Okay. So there's no other mortgage that you need to worry about.
0: Right. You can still do like an owner wrap when there's an underlying mortgage, but it's just kind of like a complex sub two. And a lot of times I find with those, the moving parts are so complex that it could be a really compelling deal to go through the headache.
1: Right. There are a
0: lot of houses that are free and clear. Their landlords have been in it for a long time and they've had them free and clear for a long time. And, they're oftentimes very happy to find out that there's capital gains advantages and to pay their taxes all at once. They can just pay the taxes on it as they get the payments. All I had to do is recapture their depreciation. So I give them enough of down payment to accommodate for that. And I'll walk them through the numbers and I show them how to do that. And if I can't, I'll pull in their CPA. And oftentimes I find their CPA is one of my best advocates because they're representing the seller, but I'm asking questions that, the seller may not think to and then their accountant will confirm it
1: that's great stuff very straightforward and play-by-play playbook for how to get owner financing deals from current landlords and i'm grateful and i know a lot of best ever listeners are grateful for that let's see with your portfolio now that's your focus now we're going to go back to what you said earlier, three and four bedroom houses. So that's what you're looking for now, the kind of owner financing deals?
0: Yeah, some sort of creative strategy where I put as little money into it as I can get away with. And then that they are solid cash flowing properties that I'm getting some sort of terms on, or I can get at a low enough of a cash discount where I can use private money to fund the deal. And that's kind of my other angle is creative deal structuring and then using private money. I probably do private money on probably half of my deals now. There's more money out there than there are deals. You just have to find those build that trust component with people so that they trust that you're going to continue to pay them the returns that that you've promised.
1: What's something we should watch out for if we're going to follow this approach?
0: For they're using the private money?
1: Uh, Either that or the owner financing thing.
0: Anytime you're doing creative deals at all, you have to learn and know the rules. It's really easy for you hear about the books that you read and the podcasts that you have and somebody just gives you a flashy demonstration and it sounds good. And In principle, it is good, but knowing the mechanics of that is really, really helpful. So knowing that a seller has to capture depreciation is not something you want to find out after the fact when they are doing their taxes the next year, and they find out they have to pay taxes because of the deal you structured.
1: Who's on your team that helps you make sure that the deals are structured properly?
0: I would say it's just me, I'm a pretty simple process, but what I've done is I've done the homework on the front end. I'm not doing something that I don't fundamentally understand first. So some of the best ever advice you can give, and you hear it a lot, is to find a mentor. And whether you're somebody you just find locally or somebody you pay to be a real estate guru, whichever, you kind of pick your preference there. But it's really helpful to have somebody that you can trust and talk to about the deals. And so I kind of have a, a local mastermind group that we work and talk our deals through. They don't formally review our deals, but we're talking strategies all the time. And I've actually considered going into the Airbnb and I've been trying to figure out how you're supposed to structure those from a tax point of view. And right now, there isn't a clear answer that I can tell. You just have to kind of do it and hope that the IRS comes down on your side when it, if you get audited on it.
1: Based on your experience as a real estate investor, I know you just mentioned the mentor thing. What is your additional best real estate investing advice ever?
0: Why are most people investors in the first place, and why do people consider real estate? That's because they want more out of life, and they don't want to be chained to a cubicle. They want a more fulfilled life. And then with the time back. So real estate isn't really about the physical house or the four walls of the roof. It's just a really useful asset that allows us, me to design the life of our dreams. So I sat on the sidelines for 15 years telling myself that I was a risk averse person. This was just a code for I'm afraid of failing. And then I just finally realized that if I'm going to make this happen, I kind of discovered that I have to make a living at the service of others and not at the expense of others. And that kind of concept really changed my life. So now when I meet other people, I'm not thinking how they can help me. I'm thinking how I can serve them. And so the best ever advice ever is thinking through the eyes of the person you're talking to. And this applies to buying houses, raising money, selling houses, or even if you're just referring your photographer or freelancer to a good client. The lesson there is deals happen because the other side needs something. And if I can engineer a way for the other side to win and I also get something that I need, then it's a true win-win scenario. Sometimes there's nothing more than just referring a friend. Other times it's showing someone that they can earn a higher or more consistent rate of return while avoiding the volatility of the stock market. So the best ever advice is to find out the pain point of the other person and solve it.
1: I love that. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about, do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with best selling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book on negotiating real estate. I've read the book Lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, Make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com. Best ever book you've read? Seven
0: Strategies of Wealth and Happiness by Jim Rohn.
1: Best ever deal you've done?
0: The first one because I did it.
1: <laughs> What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that you haven't mentioned?
0: I didn't get the insurance in place did have the details of the deal have failed it was because i didn't have a checklist so now i have a checklist for everything so that i don't have to remember what to do next
1: best ever way you like to give back
0: i like to pay that mentorship that i received forward so i offer the same deal to anyone that was given to me by my first mentor and i give away tons of free advice and i will do a free strategy session for anyone who's trying to get started
1: how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you
0: I have a website where I send people. It's uh, wincorehomes.com. I think you have that in the show notes. It's W-I-N-C-O-R-E homes, H-O-M-E-S.com.
1: I do have that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show and talking about your deals that, boy, once the light turned on with you, holy cow, you went all in. And I'm glad that you walked us through step-by-step how you did that as well as the potential risk with the five-year balloon and how you're looking to mitigate that risk as much as possible in the meantime. Additionally, the owner financing deals from current landlords, how to get owner financing deals from current landlords and the dialogue that you have with them. For any best ever listener who's looking to do what you're doing in their market, you just gave them the flow of the conversation. I hate scripts, but the flow and the general parameter or structure of the conversation, you walked us through it as well as bringing in their CPA and then how you structure the actual deal. So thanks for being on the show. Great stuff. Great job getting going so quickly out of the gate once you decided. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation Podcast, where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation Podcast at Com.